Chapter Twenty One of Mary Louise in the Country by L. Frank Baum, read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Chapter Twenty One, A Case of Nerves. The hotel at the crossing was not an imposing affair. Indeed, had there not been an office in the front room with a wooden desk in one corner, six chairs, and two boxes of sawdust to serve as cuspidors, the building might easily have been mistaken for a private residence. But it stood on the corner opposite the store and had a worn and scarcely legible sign over the front door, calling it a hotel in capital letters. The hoppers who operated the establishment did an excellent business. On weekdays, the farmers who came to town to trade made it a point to eat one of Silas Hopper's twenty-five cent dinners, famous for at least five miles around for profusion and good cookery. On Sundays and sometimes on other days, an automobile party touring the country. Would stop at the hotel for a meal, and Mrs. Hopper was accustomed to have a chicken dinner prepared every Sunday in the hope of attracting a stray tourist. There were two guest rooms upstairs that were religiously reserved in case some patron wished to stay overnight, but these instances were rare unless a drummer missed his train and couldn't get away from the crossing until the next day. The Sunday following the arrival of Ingua's mother in town proved a dull day with the Hoppers, who had been compelled to eat their chicken dinner themselves in default of customers. The dishes had been washed, and Mary Ann, the daughter of the house, was sitting on the front porch in her Sunday gown and a rocking chair, when an automobile drove up to the door and a dapper little man alighted. He was very elaborately dressed, with a silk hat, patent leather shoes, and a cane setting off his Prince Albert coat and lavender striped trousers. Across his white waistcoat was a heavy gold watch guard, with an enormous locket dangling from it. He had a sparkling pin in his checkered neck scarf that might be set with diamonds, but perhaps wasn't. On his fingers gleamed two or three elaborate rings. He had curly blonde hair and a blonde mustache, and he wore gold-rimmed eyeglasses. Altogether, the little man was quite a dandy and radiated prosperity. So, when the driver of the automobile handed out two heavy suitcases and received from the stranger a crisp bill for his services, Mary Ann Hopper realized with exultation that the hotel was to have a guest. As the car which had brought him rolled away, the little man turned, observed Mary Ann, and removing his silk hat, bowed low. I presume, he said in precise accents, that this town is that of Cragg's Crossing, and that this building is the hotel. Am I correct in the surmise? I'll call Pa, said Mary Ann, somewhat embarrassed. Drummers she could greet with unconcern, but this important individual was a man of a different sort. His brilliant personality dazzled her. Mr. Hopper came out in his shirt sleeves, gave one look at his customer, and put on his coat. Going to stay, sir? he asked. For a time, if I like the accommodations, was the reply. I am in need of perfect quiet. My doctor says I must court tranquillity to avoid a nervous breakdown. I do not know your town. I do not know your hotel. I hired a man in the city to drive me until I came to a quiet place. He assured me on the way that this is a quiet place. I dunno him, said Hopper. But he didn't put up no bluff. If you can find a quieter place near this outside a graveyard, I'll board you for nothing. I thank you for your assurance, sir. Can you show me to the best room you can place at my disposal? Had dinner? I thank you, yes. I am weary from the long ride. I will lie down for an hour. Then I will take my usual walk. When I return, I would like an omelette with mushrooms. I suppose you have no truffles? For my evening meal. The landlord grinned and picked up the suitcases. We're just out of truffles and we're out of mushrooms, he said, but we're long on eggs and you can have em omeletted or fried or boiled as it suits your fancy. 
Sophie's best hold is cookin' eggs. Sophie's my wife, you know, and there ain't no better cook in seven counties, so the drummers say. As he spoke, he entered the house and led the way up the stairs. Thank you, thank you, said the stranger. I'm glad your wife is an experienced cook. Kindly ask her to spare no expense in preparing my meals. I am willing to pay liberally for what I receive. This room with board, remarked Hopper, setting down the suitcases in the front corner bedchamber, will cost you a dollar a day or five dollars a week. If you eat our regular meals, if you keep calling for extras, I'll have to charge you extra. Very reasonable, very reasonable indeed, declared the stranger, taking a roll of bills from his pocket. As I am at present unknown to you, I beg you to accept this five dollar bill in advance. And now, if you will bring me a pitcher of ice water, I will take my needed siesta. My nerves, as you may have observed, are at somewhat of a tension to day. We're out of ice, remarked the landlord, pocketing the money, but you'll find plenty of good cold water at the pump in the back yard. Anything else, sir? I thank you, no. I'm not thirsty. Ice water is not necessary to my happiness. You will pardon me if I ask to be left alone with my nerves. Hopper went away chuckling. His wife and Marianne were both at the foot of the stairs, lying in wait to question him. That feller's as good as a circus, he asserted, taking off his coat again and lighting his corncob pipe. He's got nerves and money, and he's come here to get rid of em both. Who is he? demanded Mrs. Hopper. By gum, I forgot to ask him. I got thanked for everything I couldn't do, and I've got five dollars of his money in my jeans as evidence of good faith. The whole performance sort of knocked me out. No wonder, asserted his wife sympathetically. I bet he's some cumpkins, though, declared Mary Ann, and he'll be a godsend to us after a dull week. Only remember this if he kicks on the feed, he don't get no satisfaction out of me. I don't think he'll kick on anything, said her father. He wants eggs for his supper and an omelet. He couldn't want anything that's cheaper to make, said Mrs. Hopper. The hens are laying fine just now. When he comes down, make him register, suggested Mary Ann. If you don't, we won't know what to call him. I'll call him an easy mark, whatever his name is, said the landlord, grinning at his own attempt at wit. The stranger kept to his room until five o'clock. Then he came down, spick and span, his cane under his arm, upon his hands a pair of bright yellow kid gloves. I will now indulge in my walk, said he, addressing the family group in the office. My nerves are better, but still vibrant. I shall be further restored on my return. Just sign the register, proposed Hopper, pointing to a worn and soiled book spread upon the counter. Hate to trouble you, but it's one of the rules of my hotel. No trouble, thank you, no trouble at all, responded the stranger, and drawing a fountain pen from his pocket, he approached the register and wrote upon the blank page. I hope there is nothing to see in your town, he remarked, turning away. I don't wish to see anything. I merely desire to walk. Your wish'll come true, I guess, said Hopper. I've lived here over twenty year, and I hain't seen nothing yet, but the walkin' is as good as it is anywhere. Thank you. I shall return at six o'clock for the omelet. And he walked away with short, mincing steps that seemed to them all very comical. Three heads at once bent over the register, on which the stranger had written in clear, deliberate characters, Lysander Antonius Sinclair, B.N., from Boston, Massachusetts. I wonder what the B.N. stands for, said Mary Ann Hopper, curiously. Bum nerves, of course, replied the landlord. He's got em, sure enough. End of chapter 21. Read by Sibella Denton. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.